All right. So we have here Michael McMahon. Thanks for being here, brother. Well, it's an honor to be your first guest. I'm, yeah. I'm stoked. Yeah. Let's talk, man. So uh, you're running for California Assembly State District, right? For the 41st? For the 40, 41st Assembly District, yeah. All right. Nice. So why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit for the audience? Well, uh, my name is Mike McMahon. I am a... Well, who am I? I I'm, a, I'm a dad. I'm a neighbor. I'm a friend. I'm a co-parent. Uh, who I'm not is a politician, mm. but uh, I have been thrust into this role. I'm running for the California State Assembly in the 41st District, and I'm really running to save our state. You know, I, I want to do my part um, as a God. I've, I've spent the better part of my adult life in the service of others, and uh, I thought this was a natural progression after being terminated by the LAPD on July 1st, uh, I had been a, a servant there for 14 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I was an officer of the year. I was a five-time recipient of the Mothers Against Drunk Driving Award. I mean, the department made videos about some of my antics, and here I am. I find myself unemployed and now running for office. You know, I find that it, it, at least like the people that I've grown to like in politics are the people that are not politicians, the people that just like you and me, just fathers, civil servants, people that just love our country. And then it's like you I'm sure there's got to be like a time where you thought to yourself, I never thought I'd be here. Right. Like you're just, it's like sometimes you like take a step back and you're like, this is kind of surreal that I'm running for political office. Every single day I wake <laughs> up and I say, what am I doing here? You know, it's it's a trip, you know, yeah. but um, you know, 14 years ago, I raised my right hand. I took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States against foreign and domestic. Mm -hmm. And here we are in 2022. We've got parental rights being stripped away. I mean, even as we speak right now, there are parental rights bills that are going through the state legislature that are just tearing the family dynamic apart. We've got bills that are trying to label, um, you know, doctors as misinformation peddlers and and actually as a matter of fact that just passed so to to wake up every day and find myself in this position you know it's just a like i had said before it's just a natural progression of who i am in a world where masculinity is um is is viewed as something that's being toxic people have no idea what true toxicity is until they you know, until a weak man is in power Ooh, and that's like exactly that. what we're having, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're afraid of toxic masculinity, wait till you see what happens when the weak are in power. And so, you know, I had to step up and I had to do something because for me, um, and you'll hear me say this often, but I took a stand so I can leave a country for where my children will still be able to. You know, I took a, yeah. a, a brave man's stands hoping to strengthen the spine of others. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to lead by example. That's good. So <clears throat> why don't you and, and we'll definitely get that into that later. Some of like the bills that, that are being passed right now, um, especially here in Los Angeles County, just kind of nuts reading this. It, it's almost like I wake up every day and I, I go to my Twitter feed or whatever. And I, I just look up California and I'm just like, are we going to be crazier today than yesterday? There's no way we beat like yesterday's crazy. And sure enough, it's like. I'm following like Kevin Kiley or like other state assemblymen or or other con congressional folks here in California or the state Senate. And I'm like and, and they're talking about the bills that are being passed, like you talked about. And I'm like, yeah, we there's still room for crazy somehow in California. But before we get into, into all that, I wanted to kind of ask you, like, so how did it all start for you? What what led you to join the LAPD? What what why did you choose that path? And what what led up to that moment? Um. So I was a 31-year-old man when I first moved to Los Angeles. I was born and raised in Boston. Okay. Uh, I had tried to get on. Red back. Sox fan? I was, yeah. I was, okay. <laughs> I had Patriots, all that stuff. And, um, Let's go. you know, I had been trying to get on um, after college back east, but the opportunities for, for me just weren't there. And so early on and probably, I don't know, 2006, I have a cousin who's out here and he's on the job. And he said, hey, man, you know, why don't you, why don't you think about coming out to California and become a cop? And I was like, well, oh, you know, I was hemming and hawing because it's, that's a huge leap. Everything, that, yeah. I've, everything that, I, that I've known for 31 years leading up to it was, you know, it was safe and it was comfortable. Yeah. 
So when the opportunities weren't presenting itself to me, I was like, well, I got to do something with my life because I, you know, I graduated college in 1998. And by 2006, I was like, where am I going? You know, I was running a bar at the time. I was I was a bouncer. I was working at a district attorney's office um, doing like the worst. You know, I was <laughs> it, it was awful. I was working at a district attorney's office that was dealing with the pedophile priest case of the Boston Archdiocese. Oh, so I was seeing all of that material and all that. And it was just so bothersome. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, I held on to my dream of wanting to become a police officer. So um, I applied. It took me a year to get on because I was flying back and forth from Boston to L.A. Uh, to take the expedited testings. And then finally they called me up. I remember I was at work and they were like, hey, you know, we want to offer you a position. Can you be here in three weeks? Oh, wow. <laughs> Deuces. I was out. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not going to miss the opportunity to join the LAPD. I mean, the most storied, the most famous police department in all of the world. Do you feel just real quick? It, I feel like that conversation would probably not be the same today. Like, hey, buddy that lives in this different state, why don't you move to Los Angeles to become a police officer? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it's <laughs> really, it's a, I mean, it's such a. It's such a day-night conversation, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah. I personally still have a, I, I really have a, a deep passion for policing, but I think that's, I'm probably one of the rare cases. Okay. You know, I mean, would I recommend it to anyone these days? <laughs> probably not, right? But I yeah. still love, I, I still love being a police officer. Um, but yeah, so I threw everything in the back of my car and I drove across country in the middle of winter and drove to the beach. I, I just, I, I think I just put in, you know, like, um, I put in like Manhattan Beach, California, and I just drove there and I lived in a hotel for two weeks in Inglewood and, wow. you know, and, and then just Inglewood? started the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just lived there for a couple of weeks until the academy started. And did you have a family back then that were you already like married? Or no, you know? no, I was by so myself. I didn't know. What, what did your parents think when you moved out here? Uh, they were, you know, they were whatever with it. Um, any law enforcement, like, is your dad law enforcement? No, no, no my so dad. you were like the only one. I was the only one. Okay. Yeah. You know, I grew up, I grew up in an area. I mean, Boston's, when you go to school or when you go to college in Boston, you either go for law enforcement or you go to become a teacher. Okay. That's what it is. You know, it's like a cop or a teacher. And so I chose the cop path. Uh, I grew up in an area, uh, my neighbor had, my neighborhood had several cops on it. Okay. So I kind of grew up around it and respecting it and fearing it. I, I, you like. I was a cop and I still feared cops. You know, that's, that's, that was the attitude you grew up with back then. It was like, yeah. they'd beat you up and then they'd drive you home. But it wasn't like anything bad. It's like, oh, you were, you know, skateboarding. <laughs> right, like, yeah, like, hey, you kids. Yeah, exactly. Stop skateboarding here. Exactly. So, <laughs> Compared you know, to now where it's like, hey, stop killing each other. <laughs> right, right. I'd get a slap across the back of the head and they'd be like, come on, get in the back of the car. You yeah. Know? So, um, but yeah, so I started in 2008 and um, came out of the academy went right to Southeast Division, which is the Watts area. So um, that was a pretty, I mean, like my eyes were like the size of saucer plates, you know. Uh, my very first call, I was in my, my shiny dress shoes and my nice. full uniform with tie. And I'm, you know, I mean, I'm a grown man <laughs> thrown into this thing right in the hearts of like Jordan Downs. And uh, I had no idea what was going on, you know. Yeah. But it was... Uh, do you remember like that first call? Like, uh, what, yeah. What, 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 what was it? It was a barricaded suspect inside oh. one of the housing complexes. And it was a huge, we call it, it's a, it called a 415 crowd, you know, like an, a real aggravated crowd. And, uh, oh my God, people were just hollering at me and I'm, I'm out there like, oh, what did I just get myself into? You had a partner, I expect. Yeah, but he was right? gone. He was gone. You know, <laughs> it's you like, got this rookie. Yeah, exactly. Hey, boot, you got this. Don't let anybody through. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's just sweat pouring out of my collar. Yeah. But yeah, I'll never forget that. How was the crowd though? Like while they were there, like, were they like Super taunting you? Or? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh aggressive? yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. So you got it. I got it good. Right out. I got it good right out of the gate. Man. Yeah. So, so with that, like how, how did you, I know that, um, you know, in following your story, I know that you ranked up and you were working like different kind of like departments and stuff. Can you kind of like guide us through like what department, like where did you start off? And then right before you got let go by the department, yeah. like, where, where were you? Well, for the most part of my career, I was, uh, I just pushed a black and white. I, I went from call to call to call. Okay. Um, after my probation, I became a collision investigator. So I was handling, um, you know, like DUIs and, and, uh, traffic fatalities and things of that nature. Um, I did that for five years and then I transferred over to the Skid Row area 
I pushed a black and white over there for a long time. And then I was tapped by a captain that I knew at the time that I had previously worked for, and he was in charge of the juvenile division of the LAPD. And the juvenile division handles physical and sexual assault against children. Hmm. And he asked me, he knew the kind of investigator I was at the time during the, my, my collision investigator days. Um, that's where I was uh, officer of the year, and that's where I got all those awards. But he said he liked the way I, I you know, my, I, I guess my analytical mind. Okay. Um, so he tapped me to come over and, and investigate those kind of crimes. And I'll tell you, man, it was like the most rewarding aspect of my career was putting away ki- uh, people who hurt kids. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no better feeling than to serve justice as somebody, you know, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a really humbling experience. And so uh, so is that how you left the department working like in that department, like helping kids out? No, I, you know, I, I, I did that for a little while um, and then I got voluntold to go up to the valley. OK, uh, so I did a year in the valley and then I came back and I worked Skid Row for uh, another three and a half, almost four years, I think it was. And then Skid Row? Yeah. How, how was that? So I, I've always, it's weird because I'm, I'm from Los Angeles, but people always tell me, like, have you gone to the Hollywood sign or the Walk of Fame? I'm like, I don't do any of those mm-hmm. things. So I've always heard of, like, Skid Row, but I'm not entirely certain. Like, how did it even get its name? Like, what, what's up with Skid Row? Like, you worked it. So what, what's there to work? Or Well, it's just the, it's the, what, impoverished area of Los Angeles. Okay. You know, it's usually, it, it started around the missions. You know, the missions came in early and um, and set up their programs. And then gradually the homeless population of LA started obviously following the midnight mission and they would just be congregating there. And that's where all the services were for them. You know, people okay. people would come down with food and clothing and, you know, somehow they get they end up with like eight hundred dollar tents that people go, donate to them. And oh, now you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, but, yeah. but um, you know, I mean, Fifth and Wall right there, a uh, very famous corner. Uh, three police officers lost their lives there, um, but it was actually the original location of the Hard Rock Cafe, okay. um, right there on Fifth and Wall, which is now the Green Green Apple Market. Um, pretty famous uh, Doors album had the, the the Hard Rock Cafe on the back of that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. Um, but it's just exponentially grown out now. Now we've got all kinds of city services in that area that are served, that are quote unquote serving the homeless population. Yeah, I was about to say, it feels like the more government programs we have to help mm-hmm. the impoverished people, or like the, I guess they call them transients now, right? Because right. homeless people or the homeless communities, yeah, like, I think, I think they're even politically correct now. Yeah, I think it's like temporarily unhoused or something temporarily like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but it seems like the more the government tries to help, the worse it's gotten. <laughs> Anytime the yeah. government tries to help you, the, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. You know, once you start writing blank checks to these nonprofits, right? It's just enriching the nonprofit. It's not helping anyone. Yeah, I've I've even I've seen like some reports. I have a really good friend who works for the Epoch Times, and uh, she she was reporting on some of these nonprofits that work in Los Angeles that work are supposed to be helping the homeless as mm-hmm. well. So like this NGO uh, was basically tasked with you are here to fix the homeless problem. And all these people, there's like almost 500 employees, like the top 200 are making over six figures. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, well, let's, let's, let's just say for the sake of an argument, like, you know that you're about it. So your job is, hey, you're getting paid over 100,000 to solve the homelessness problem. But if you solve it, then there's no problem and we don't need you anymore. So yeah. those, those jobs go away and they're nice paying jobs and i'm sure they offer equally as good uh you know health benefits you know stuff like that so i kind of feel like it's almost like an incentive to not sell no (laughs) it's the it you know it's think of it the same way as uh like the pharmaceutical industry Mm -hmm. right they're you know they those who sell the fear sell the cure yeah you know and that's exactly the way that these NG, these these nonprofits are operating. These it's like uh, they what's the term they say a healthy patient is a patient a, lost a patient lost yeah. yeah yeah so no I I definitely agree and so what was your job specifically at at Skid Row like as law enforcement what did you guys do that just like I was a, I was a patrol officer okay so I would be so handling just responding to I was responding to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of calls per day um, wow. you know, on average I was answering. Um, you have to remember the calls answered plus reports and or arrests. Right. So I was averaging, you know, anywhere from 16 to 18 calls 
per 10 hour shift. So that's a ton, you know. What do those days look like? Like how many hours are you actually putting? Because I imagine, so you, like you said, it's kind of like a process, right? It goes to dispatch, then it goes to you, and then you got to get there, then you got to write the report, and then I'm sure there's paperwork after that, even yeah. after that. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, not every call, you know, it rises to, to, like, rises okay. to a report. But yeah, you've got, you know, for, I mean, you could be out of the field for three, four hours writing a different report, right. depending on how many you have, you know, and thankfully... The LAPD works in two man two man pairs uh, yeah. throughout a, almost every division. Was it always like that, or is that just because of like rising crime? It's been like that for as long as I've been on. I think okay. I think because of what Los Angeles is, but I also think it has something to do with possibly like the Onion Field incident where police officer two police officers were kidnapped mm. um, and dragged and, and driven out to the Onion Fields and, and murdered. Wow. Um, but I don't know exactly where where that came from. Uh, the okay. two-man cars. I mean, I, I guess I mean, it just makes sense. I remember like when I was in the military, it, it would call be, it'd be called like the, the, the buddy system. Mm-hmm. So like anytime we went to like a foreign country, it's like you're not allowed to go out by yourself. Right. You know, you're obviously in a foreign country. Some of you probably don't speak the language. Um, there's no reason why at all you should be by yourself. So they call yeah. it like the buddy system. I, I, it makes sense. I was just wondering if maybe because of rising crime, something changed or maybe you guys are doing like three Three to a squad car now? <laughs> no, they don't you know? let you do that anymore. <laughs> you look too heavy-handed being being three, four deep in a car. Yeah. So you know, it's I, God, I, I really came to love working with a partner, um, just because I mean your workload is naturally cut in half. You know, yeah. you handle one call, then and then your partner handles the next, then you handle the you know, and so back and forth. Um, it's good. You know, I, I like the fact that the LAPD works in pairs. And I think it also has something to do with the sheer uh, number, of the, the population of the city of L.A. I mean, there's so much that can possibly happen to an officer during the course of their 10 or 12-hour shift Yeah, um, that it's always good to have a partner watching your back. Now, you guys are the second largest police department next to NYC or? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I believe yeah, okay. so. Yeah. Yeah, the per capita just here. I, I can just imagine. I mean, I've talked to some dispatchers, and they're just telling me, like, crazy stories. It's, like, nonstop. It's, like, the minute you clock in, it's, like... For it's them. Just, yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's You know, it's, like, in a 24-hour period, you can handle upwards of, like, 6,000 calls throughout the city, which is a ton. Wow. You know, and considering that um, the LAPD is a few hundred officers down now. They're not very transparent with their numbers at all. Yeah, I've been noticing that. I have uh, the Firefighters for Freedom. They, they send me like uh, daily or sometimes like weekly posts of like how many firefighters are down now right. because of mandates and, and other things. Uh, and it seems to be kind of like a trend everywhere. Anywhere everyone was fired for forced mandates, like they're down nurses, they're down teachers, they're down law enforcement, they're down fire department. I've even heard like with aviation, I think like, they're down too. It's like anywhere they try to really like slam down on these people, it seems like there's shortages everywhere. Just odd, huh? Um, but with that, um, what what would you say are some like the laws or some of the policies that have been passed? Maybe not recently, but maybe like a timeline, like 2006. Like, yeah, you know, these were some of the laws we didn't like, and then they got worse. You know, yeah. like I know Prop 47 is a big one. Yeah, that's probably. Right? I'll be honest with you, Annie. I, I think that's probably the worst one. Prop 47. Prop 47. You know, you had AB 109, which was, you you could see it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, the implementation of Prop 47, which I think came in in 2011, 2011 or 2014, but to essentially, you know, when you're, it was, it was so that, you know, the, the eyes of the nation were on California and they're like, well, they have so many felons incarcerated per capita, and it's right. just there's so many people in jail. Well, they came up with this Prop 47 that would essentially decriminalize all these crimes, make theft, you know, $950 and below a misdemeanor. And so the voters come in and they say, yeah, yeah, we like the idea of Prop 47. Well, and then overnight, all of these felonies get dropped to misdemeanors, and all of a sudden, crime is solved right yeah you know what's interesting is i always find that a lot of these a lot of these propositions or policies they get passed with like nice sounding names so like for example proposition 47 i'm looking at the website here is california courts the judicial branch of california and it says the safe neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and schools act and so it's kind of like when you go to vote for something you're like oh what what am i voting for here 
oh, Prop 47, the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools right. Act, of course I want this. Right. And I feel like they do that a lot with laws, right? And they so so just like a quick overview here, it says Proposition 47 uh, implemented three broad changes to felony sentencing laws. First, it reclassified certain theft and drug possession offenses from felonies to misdemeanors. Big mistake. Second, it authorizes defendants currently serving sentences for felony offenses that would have qualified as misdemeanors under the proposition to petition courts for resentencing under the new misdemeanor provisions. And then third, it authorizes defendants who have completed their sentences for felony convictions that would have qualified as misdemeanors under the prop to apply to reclassify those convictions to misdemeanors. So again, the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act has only made neighborhoods and schools unsafer. And so, like, with that, so, you know, I, I hear often, like, oh, yeah, the reason why we have smash and grabs is because of that law, you know, that the, the, the proposition that if it's a misdemeanor or if it's less than $150, they don't get arrested. Is that, like, entirely true? Because I've heard some people say, like, we still report it. Like, it's st we still call police, and, and it's not like they dismiss us. It's not like they're asking us, like, as a store, well, how much did they steal? Oh, they stole $847. Oh, well, we're not going to respond. So can you kind of like talk me through that? Like, how yeah. does that look like less yeah. than $950? Yeah. You know, just to add on to, you know, that deceptive advertising. Right. You know, that comes from the Secretary of State's office. I mean, yeah. our last Secretary of State was Javier Becerra, mm -hmm. one of the most criminalistic, crooked guys out there. And uh. he would purposefully mis, you know, misinterpret or miscategorize all of those bills right. to make the general public who doesn't know much about anything right. when, when it comes to the politics. Yeah, he's, he's just, he's awful. Um, but no, as, as a police officer, we have the obligation, if you call us, we have to show up and we shall take a report. At least that's how it is in, was in the LAPD. Right. So for instance, if Walgreens down in, down in uh, you know, Fifth and Broadway down in Los Angeles, says, hey, look, we just had somebody come steal a bunch of stuff. I'm obligated to go there and, and itemize right. $950 worth of stuff. I now, mean, is that in all cases? Like, do you guys respond in all cases? Like, granted, maybe, like, more pressing matters, like if there's, like, a rob like another robbery in place or, like, an, a murder or something, like, you know? If you call the LAPD, you shall get a response. Okay. That's how it's, that's how it has to be. So you show up and itemize and then, yeah, I mean, most, most of the times if it's $950 worth of makeup, here's a form you got, you guys can itemize it at your own leisure. Okay. We'll, you know, we'll take like the three or five uh, most expensive things. And then, you know, you articulated in the report that $950, but um, no, if, if you call the police, at least in Los Angeles, you have to, you have to, we have to go. So then what happens if it's less than $950? Like, so can you kind of help me understand? So if it's less than 950, what does that mean? So you can't prosecute now or like, well, no, you can, okay. it's just entirely up to the, to the district attorney's office. You know, the district mm. attorney right now is no friend to police officers. He's ah, no yeah. friend to the victim. Right. Um, you know, and he's the guy that's got gangbangers getting his name tattooed across their chest. Yeah. Um, you know, the district attorney's office, if we have a good case and, and identify that that uh, that criminal, uh, we can submit that um, we can submit that 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 file to the for filing. And it's up to the district attorneys at that point if they're going to prosecute or, or, or deny. I think last year, um, Alex Villanueva had stated that the district attorney's office failed to prosecute over 12,000 cases that his department alone holy smokes when uh submitted yeah man i mean yeah I, I the next question was actually about going to be about gascon uh and we'll, we'll delve into that um i just so w with prop 47 that just kind of skyrocketed crime in los angeles or like i guess what what crimes became more prevalent that you saw like a change after prop 47 is it like robbery or well i mean it's You've got to think of this as like, there's so many different layers as to this. You've got 47 being implemented, 57 and, and AB 109, but you've also got this high propensity of, of the drugs now, right? You've, oh, yeah. got, you've got the gigantic influx of homelessness from all across the nation. You've got uh, the economic downturn, right? From, that started about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Right. Um, 
with, with the Obama administration, and then everybody's just staying on the streets. So you've got fentanyl being imported from, from Mexico and China. Uh, you've got the bath salts that was really, oh my God, two, three years ago, that was literally an epidemic. Um, the bath salts? The bath salts, especially in Skid Row. I mean, we were, we were dealing with probably two dozen a day of these guys that were just high on bath salts. Wow. Um, it was really bad. What does that look like? I've never seen anyone high it, on bath it, salts. It looks like a zombie. Honestly, without exaggeration, it's like a zombie apocalypse. These wow. guys have no idea what they're doing. They're writhing around on the ground, or they're coming at you like uh, like they're being controlled, like a puppet. You know, drool and anger and sweat and tears and and they are strong. They are strong like nothing else. It's like PP, uh, PCP strong, and that's that's a ridiculous drug to get. What, would, what would you say is like the demographics of Skid Row? Like, is it predominantly like black and Latino, like on Skid Row, or? Yeah, down in down in downtown here it is. Yeah. Right. So um, so I'm trying to make a connection here. So if you have like a rise in drug use because Prop 47 or some of the policies that are being passed, where hey, I mean I've literally seen videos of people just shooting up on the street mm -hmm. and it's like no one cares, right? So I'm thinking to myself, has the statistic for police like officer involved like shootings also gone up because when you guys respond for example in skid row and someone's really high and you mentioned well if they're aggressive are they like trying to get at you like are are you having to use more aggression basically against these people because of the rise of drug use open in the streets i think as a whole you know and especially after you know you have the what what they call the ferguson effect Okay. You know, within the last few years, after the, after the rise of the of um, you know the riots in Ferguson and everything that's been highlighted since, I think a lot of police officers now are reticent to get involved in that sort of full on, you know, I got to take this guy down, right? right? What instead they try to get us to do is you know articulate everything well. I'm going to do this. And hey, sir, I'm going to, hey, come on over here. And they want us talking to everybody, which is fine. Is it all recorded with body cams now? It is now, yeah. When, when was that implemented, like the body cams? Um, well, we had, at first we had microphones installed. Like we were wearing microphones. And then we had cameras inside of our cars. And that came like out. Like the dash cams and yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, the dash cams. And I think that was around 2008, 2009. Um, and then the body cameras came on. I'd have to say probably somewhere around 2000 and, mm, I don't know, 20, 2017. I think it was okay, when we so really fairly got, recent, like not too far. Yeah, okay. and they're great. A lot of people don't like them, yeah. you know, because it's like... Are those yeah, people police? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's, you know, I think by nature we fear anything that's new, right? Yeah. Because you, you think it's like, well, it's just the department wanting to catch me doing something. Yeah, like internal right? affairs or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's... I always appreciated them because if you're doing your job the right way, you have nothing to worry about, about what's, what's on your body cam. And so, you know, they're really used to your advantage. Just what kind of police officer do you want to be? Um, you know, and 99.99% of all police officers are fine with it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but there is that mentality that's within a lot of the big democratic led police departments where they're really trying to catch you. You know, if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, that's, that's two days. It. That's two days suspension. Yeah. You know, if we don't like the way your tone was, that's a two day suspension. Wow. You know, the tonality of your conversation, they'll they'll initiate complaints on you just by listening. And that actually happened to me several times. They were trying they were trying to get me, uh, you know, on like, well, we didn't like the way that you phrased that question, mm. right? We didn't like your tone of your voice. You know, but my, meanwhile, it's somebody that's spitting at me or, you know, trying to bait me into some sort of fight. <laughs> right. You know, and if you have to say, hey, M mother effer, you know, or yeah. something of that nature, it's like, whoa, no, 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 no. We don't we don't talk like that anymore. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I've literally seen like videos of like police apprehending someone and they've got a gun and it's like, drop the effing gun. Yeah. Drop it now. And they're like, I'll look at the comments like, what's with the attitude? And I'm like, dude, the guy's got a gun. Yeah. Like, well, like, what are you worried about the F-bombs here? Well, you know? you know, I haven't been on... Like, I, you know, it wasn't 35 years that I was on. But when I came on in 2008, you know, there was such a thing as called tactical language. Right. And that tactical language was, was uh, more oftentimes than not, you know, some sort of bad word that you would yell at them to get their attention. 
and let them know how serious you were. Right. But now we're living in a nicer, gentler, kinder, uh, kinder uh, LAPD area. And a lot Inclusive. of these, what's that? <laughs> Inclusive. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of these officers are coming on and they're being taught in the academies like, you know, well, let's try to give everybody hugs first, you know, but you got to ask for permission if you're going to give them hugs first. And that's just not the way because we're seeing this progressive, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a spiraling downward of, right. uh, of, you know, personal responsibility. No one's being held accountable for their actions. So what's happening, especially in the George Gascon era, is that criminals are now emboldened to either not cooperate or fight with us purposefully, hoping that, uh, you know, in some, in some way they'll, they'll end up hitting the LAPD lottery where, right. they can, where they can end up suing us for millions of dollars for something that they created, right. but just doesn't look good. You know, policing by its, by its very nature is ugly. You know, right? Yeah, because I mean, especially in, I, I assume, in especially in LA or like heavy, you know, densely populated areas where you're responding to a lot of crime happening. Right. You know? Police work is not beautiful. You know, we see we see everyone. Uh, most people we see are on their the worst days of their lives. Right. You know, yeah. we don't see. It's I, I can't tell you the last time somebody opened a door for me while I was on patrol or bought a coffee for me. Right. You know. I, I remember one time someone asked me to pray over me and I'll never forget that day because it's never happened before. Wow. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I, st that's... I still remember getting the middle finger by an old lady sitting at the bus stop at six o'clock in the morning. You know, that was, that was wild. I just assumed like, what, like, what did I ever do? You lady, you know, right? like did we run into each other at one point, you know, but I, 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 I want to talk about a point that you brought up before we shift things here up a little bit. But one of the things that you brought up was Gascon. Mm -hmm. So George Gascon, he's like this Soros appointed DA here in Los Angeles. He's a Soros backed. Yes. Soros backed. You know, it's so interesting because as I've, I've been doing independent journalism since 2017, and I remember talking about if anyone was Soros back, you were considered like a conspiracy theorist. People were like, oh, you're talking about this man behind the curtain, you know? And so whenever anyone tried to link anything to Soros, I still remember like the time where Tucker started, Tucker Carlson mm -hmm. on Fox, he started talking about it, like pretty mainstream about it. And I was like, is this really happening? Like, are we finally allowed to say this name, right. you know? And so what sucks about kind of being independent journalists is that when you make the connections before the mainstream media, it's almost like you have to wait for them to talk about it or else you get banned on social media right. or you get called a crazy, right. which is interesting because a lot of my audience, it's kind of funny. I, I poke fun, about the, uh, fun, fun at them a little bit when I break something because either a source told me or I just happen to find out and they're like, I don't see it online yet. And I'm like, wait a minute. Do you follow source. me because I'm independent? Yeah. They're like, source? Question mark. Yeah. You know, like, the British are coming. What's your source? Right. You know. <laughs> so, so it's kind of interesting to me. But with Gascon, so he's a Soros-backed guy, and he's awful. He's awful. I mean, so can you kind of talk a little bit on like the shift of, like, who did you guys have before? It was the um, Jackie Lacey. Jackie Lacey. I actually, I, I was in some inner circles with that, where I actually got to talk with her and stuff, and. I know a lot of people didn't like her. I just don't know if she was the lesser of two evils at, at the time. I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. What do you think? Well, if you remember what did her in was her husband coming to the front door when Antifa confronted them and he had a gun, right? <laughs> that was so nuts. Yeah. yeah. You know, 2016 was a wild, wild year. Yeah. Um, you know, but now we've got Kermit the DA. And, oh, hello, I'm Kermit. I'm George Gascon and uh, I love criminals. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, you know, when when that election happened, I actually had, I, I, I flipped my lid because I, I saw the writing on the wall because, you know, yes, he was a, he was a gas, he was a, a Soros-backed district attorney. I think it was like $4.4 million was injected into his, his campaign fund through the likes of like the Tides Foundation and, uh, you know, the Open Societies and, right, and yeah. the Alternative Justice. Uh, I can't think of what they are. There's so many of them now. Um, but we yeah. call them Legion because they have so many names. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> seriously. Um, but it's like a it's like a ten headed Hydra. Yeah, you know, and just every, every and every head. time you cut one off, like three more come yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. And so I remember um, pleading to my union to um, to to pay for a, a, rec a recount of all the of all the votes because we had you know the whole 
voting system at the time. I don't know if I can say it on air. You know, with Dominion. There's irregularities, yeah, right? For sure. You know, Every election has irregularities, right? But, for sure. But historically, LA County and especially LA City mm-hmm. uh, have been the most corrupt or the most amount of irregularities within the voting systems. Yeah. And so I was like, I, I went right to my union and I said, we need to perform a, a recount on these ballots because. I guarantee you, he is going to be the worst district attorney that this city will ever see. Uh, no, we can't. It's going to cost us too much money. It's going to cost us a million dollars to do it. Let us decide that. That's yeah. our money, right? Right. Yeah. You know, our our union takes in something like twelve million dollars a year. Mm. Um, what are they doing with all that money? They want They're funding <laughs> Democrats <laughs> for the most part. Funding the people that but, hate them. But they said to me, they're like, we're not going to do it because Jackie Lacey's a Democrat. Mm. So. What difference does that make? Yeah. You know, and um, so, you know, she didn't put up much of a fight either. So I don't know what's happening with that. Yeah. But I, now fast forward a couple of years and here we are. Yeah. You know? and, and then he just survived that recall. What do you, what do you think about that? What do you, so I, I've signed recall petitions before. I've been a part of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I just know how like anal these people are about the way you sign and double, triple, quadruple checking Mm -hmm. how you sign. So for those of you like listening, in case you don't know, when you sign a petition, there's someone with a clipboard, usually like outside of a gas station Mm -hmm. or like one of the more, like it's like in front of Walmarts or wherever you go grocery shopping. Cause you're like, okay, if we go in front of a restaurant, maybe it's an out of towner that's coming to visit his favorite restaurant. But if you're in front of a grocery store, it's usually someone local. So they go with the safest bet to go somewhere local or a gas station, for example. Um, and so I remember I signed the recall Gascon and they even had like a little stencil, like a plastic stencil where you're only allowed to sign anywhere. There's an open area mm-hmm. in that stencil layout. And the reason they do this is cause they don't want you touching the lines. They don't want you going outside of the box. They ask you for your ID to check your address. And then they check the, the signature on your driver's license. Mm-hmm. It's like, you need to replicate that. You need to replicate the signature on your driver, even if that's not how you sign anymore. And you need that's how you sign the recall. And they verify it. They're like, are you sure? Are you sure that you're registered? Is this the same address as your address? It's not. So when I saw <laughs> that they had accomplished over 700,000 signatures, well above, yeah. what was it, like 520,000 that they needed? Uh, something I think like they needed 569. 569. And they were well over like 720,000. 717. Yeah. yeah. And, and so 30% of that came back faulty. Right. What do you think about it's that? It's more than, more than the presidential election. <laughs> they threw out more, more ballots <laughs> than the presidential election. I think anytime you have a registrar of voters that, that comes out and says, uh, we're not going to let anybody watch the verification process. Is that what they did? Yeah. Okay. They wouldn't allow anybody to come in and verify. And the the Gascon ones? Yeah, and watch the verification process. Huh. So, I mean, that just screams of some sort of Wrongdoing. criminality yeah. right there. Um, so who knows what actually happened, but to throw out that many, it's, it's, it's absurd to me. It is absolutely absurd. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and shift into the story. We're going to, you know, we've been covering it. I've been working with you for almost a year now uh, to the capacity of covering the story of you being this LAPD officer that's kind of been fighting uh, the mandates mm-hmm. and what's been going, all the shenanigans happening over at the LAPD. Can you, can you kind of guide us through how it started and then, you know, trigger warning, we're talking about force mandates here, folks, you know? So, <laughs> so you know, we have a fighter here with us and, and, and what led up to kind of you being dismissed from the, so. You know, I was working Skid Row at the time and we were driving around and everybody was panicking. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this is like an unnatural state of fear that we're in. Already questioning just off of like, wait a minute. Like, why are we wearing these masks? You said three to four days because the department just didn't have. Yeah, they were running out of them, you know, and we'd be wearing the same masks all the time. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, this is just for show, Mm -hmm. you know. And again, I'm not discounting anybody, but these are my own personal thoughts uh, because, you know, we, we weren't. We were going to the hospitals, you know, County USC, the biggest hospital in this area, and they were empty, mm-hmm. right? And then we were hearing about entire floors being shut down and the nurses being sent home. And all those giant tents that were being set up outside of the parking lots, they were all empty. 
So I assume that as police officers, you guys would patrol a lot. And so you guys would see these tents that they, that they would put up and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like they're all, you know, we're at the hospital, a good portion of our, of our shift at one point or another, right. you know, there are days where I could go to the hospital three, four times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wasn't seeing the evidence that the TV was projecting in real life. So I, I started to, it started to raise a lot of questions in me. At this time, were you still working Skid Row? Yeah. One of the things I've always heard is like, how did this pandemic not affect like the homeless community? What, what, what did you see in Skid Row? Was there like people just dropping? Or? There was no uptick. There was no uptick in death. Hmm. You know, it's almost like it's almost like they were immune to it, you know. But, um, the, but was there anyone there giving like handing out like masks and gloves and goggles to them? I, no, no. No. You know, and we weren't we, we weren't responding to, um, you know, natural deaths. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like when someone dies in their apartment, we weren't responding to it really. There wasn't a real great uptick in that either. Okay. Um, you know, and at the time I, I was familiarizing myself with the PCR test and how that worked and what Dr. Kerry Mullis was suggesting. Um, and, you know, as a police officer, we're, we're natural investigators. That's our job. Right. To figure out, to get both sides of the story and make a determination as to where you want to move forward. And that's what I was doing. You know, I was I was being my own investigator in it, and I was coming up with my own thoughts. And uh, you know, I started to get complaints from from citizens, and I was starting to get complaints from my superiors because I I stopped wearing masks. I said, "This is ridiculous." Mm-hmm. Did you, you know? have complaints from like the community? Yeah, because I remember that was like big. Yeah, when, it was. Like, if the community was looking at the police officer, like, "Where's your mask?" Yeah, You're us there was there was a guy down at Skid Row that used to chase us around, and you know, in in when I was when I was down there, I, I used to wear it sometimes to make other people feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew it very well. It's like this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And Tucker Carlson at the time uh, did a really great report on the fallacy of the six foot and where all that came from. And it was like science out of the 1880s from a German, um, you know, biologist. Which now, by the way, like YouTube has. Have you seen that? That no. YouTube updated its, uh, its policies saying that, oh, you, that now yesterday. you can talk about yes. that. Now you can talk about yes. how masks don't work and yes. stuff. And so technically speaking, we shouldn't be demonetized for this because I know. we should be able to talk about it. But that's they even went as far as if I'm not mistaken, they said that you can even claim that masks cause lung cancer now. It's yeah. like, well, wait a minute. Why are we able to make these claims now? You know, and so it's interesting, but um, go, go ahead. Yeah, so I, you know, I was getting these complaints for not wearing a mask, but, <laughs> you know, I ended up writing like a, a four-page dissertation with, mm-hmm. you know, responding back to that because uh, Dr. Jay Bhattachara came out with the Great Barrington Declaration that basically just debunked the entire masking. Um, and so I, I used to reference that all the time in these complaints because I agreed with it. You know, I mean, there's, you know, why would I put my body into a state of hypoxia if if you see the videos where people would vape and it would just escape out of all right, sides yeah. of it and it's like well that's not saving anybody that's not even the purpose of masking you know a surgeon wears a mask and prevents spit dropping into you know an open wound right but this is ridiculous were you kind of like the only one or did you see that there was like a couple of police officers like looking at each other like wait a minute there were there were there were few and far between Okay. They were few and far between. Do you, you think know? there's a lot of police officers that probably believe the same things you do or like that caught on that early, but they just weren't vocal about it? They were just like, I think I just going to keep quiet. You know, it's, it's a, it makes, it does make me really sad um, mm. to think that, you know, we're bound to uphold the constitution and, right. you know, we're, we're independent thinkers or we should be independent thinkers um, that so many went along with that. You know, it does bother me. You know, right. Like at nights, I'll just sit there and I'll just open my eyes. I'm like, yeah, that still bugs me. Yeah. I I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of friends over the last year. I feel like it's just one of those topics where like the more of you that defy, the easier it'll be. As opposed to like the more of you that comply, like the harsher they'll impose tyranny. You know? The worst thing that, that, the worst lie that was ever sold to this world was, was was these masks. Mm -hmm. Once we, once we acquiesced to the masks, it just left the door wide open for the injections for everything else. Yeah. yeah. So why don't we fast forward to tell us about like how you first oh, got yeah. called into the, uh, to that nice little room we all got to sit in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, so fast forward to, to 2021, um, 
you know, I had been working every day up to that, and you know, the max the masking was sort of being lax. But uh, in late August of 21, the uh, the city of Los Angeles handed down their vaccine mandate, which made right. it a condition of our employment. Mm. And so that's when a few of us got together and we formed an anti-mandate coalition made up of LAPD officers and, uh, and ultimately uh, we, we took on the civilian employees. But my personal story with that was that, and you know, it's almost a year to the day since you and I actually first spoke, right. uh, which I think is really cool. It's, it's kind of an honor. Here we are, uh, one year here later. We are. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had been doing the interviews with you and I had been speaking at some small rallies and things like that all off duty um, well within my First Amendment rights and in November 3rd actually backtrack that I was I was advised back in October of that of that year that I had been doxxed by Antifa Antifa had made a bunch of uh, complaints against me on um, personnel complaints and then on November 3rd I was pulled into my captain's office and I was presented a sheet of paper that was um, a 48-hour notice to comply mm. and the notice stated that you know the, the department wants to uh, deduct almost $600 a month from my paycheck to pay for PCR testing and I thought absolutely not I so unconstitutional and I and I, I thought to myself this is absolute violation of the California Labor Code and I wrote in there big letters you know I refuse to acquiesce to these mandates and uh, that was the last day that I ended up working, you know, November 3rd of 2021. You know, compounded, it was, I also refused to, uh, to mask, I also refused to test, and I refused to submit a religious exemption because I refused to bear false witness and, and submit one because I felt it was so unconstitutional for the, for the city and the government to want to know um, my deeply held religious belief, which is none of their business. And so, you know, I just said, no, I'm not going to do it. You can't, you can't know because it's too unconstitutional for me. Um, so, you know, I was, um, I was relieved of duty. I was ordered to turn in my gun on my badge on the 5th. Uh, and then I spoke at this giant rally that we had downtown on November 8th that you were, you were at. Uh, and during that rally, actually post rally, I was found out I was being surveilled by the department. Uh, I was being photographed. I was uh, the police state, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but they they were surveilling me, and they. I guess the answer to who polices the police, it's the police. Yeah, <laughs> the police yeah. police the police. You know, my own captain and, and his secretary, they were driving by me. They had a telephoto lens on the steps of City Hall, wow. photographing you know persons that they identified as police officers. But they even they even went so far as to park their the city owned vehicle directly behind my car and sit there and watch me, you know, and I just, wow. I just like, what is this? So, um, I was, I was it's intimidation. That's all it's, man. it's classic intimidation. And so I was, um, I was served with my internal affairs investigation, uh, that very next day. And then I was, uh, I was served with what's called a 161 by chief Moore, uh, which, uh, ordered me to a, a board of rights where he recommended my termination for refusing to follow his orders. So with that Board of Rights, can you kind of like just, it's not open to the public. So it's kind of like your own kind of like court, right? For like police department or? Well, up until that point, Anthony, I had never heard of a police officer making their Board of Rights open. Okay. Um, but I wanted it to be open to the public because I didn't do anything wrong. Right. Uh, I stood up for the Constitution. I stood up for my, for my morals, for my principles. Um, and it was an administrative charge. So I wanted to make sure that anybody that wanted to come in and watch the proceedings, because I knew it was going to be a kangaroo court. Right. Uh, and, it, as it, and it turned out to be that. It turned out to be exactly that. It was a kangaroo court. It was an, actual sh it was an absolute sham. And what they did was they dragged it on for seven months. It was supposed to be three days, if you remember, in, in December, of, December 6th of 2021. It was supposed to start and go sequentially 6th, 7th, and 8th. But they dragged it on for seven months. They dragged it on until July 1st. Um, you know, during the trial, you were privy to a lot of information. But um, we found out that the chief's office had directed internal affairs not to interview anybody with regards to the, the, the vaccine mandate. 
Uh, we also found out that they also advised captains not to speak to us with regards to the vaccines, mm. which, you know, how can you give informed consent if nobody will talk to you about it? Right. And so that was my big issue, you know, on top of the labor code violation, which was so apparent and so blaring, um, there was just so many bombs dropped. And then, um, you know, I don't know how much you want me to get into this, but, but it was learned that I would be 100% fired and I was going to be made an example of. And I had an officer testify to that, to that conversation that he overheard. And oddly enough, that officer was relieved of duty the very next day. Hmm. And so he's now pending his own board of rights. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I remember. So, you know, full disclosure, I, you know, you allowed me to be the sole journalist to kind of cover the yes. story. And, you know, and so the honor is mine and being able to have you here today to kind of conclude that story that we've been following with you and, and what happened at that board of rights. And to me, and I'll just let the audience know, just like I told you, to me, what really is insane to me is that you're this upstanding former police officer, never had a problem, never, you know, nothing like that. And then you worked in departments that literally help children, right? Mm -hmm. to, to, to take these scumbags off the streets. And in a time where it's getting harder to recruit LAPD officers or just keep people in law enforcement in general, or even our military, right? They're, they're having their own recruiting problems right. because of mandates and all this craziness that's happening, wokeness into our institutions. Here you are, you know, and, and they kick you off. And they're like, what was just insane to me was no warning, no, well, this is your first time ever coming before a board. So, you know, hey, knock it off. You know, you're, you're dishonoring the police uniform. Make sure you get back on track. Nothing. Just you're this upstanding police officer that's never been in any prob serious problems before. You've, you've never been before a board of rights your first time and they say oh you're not gonna obey you're not gonna comply fired immediately there's no like slap in the hand there's no like hey man like just moving forward just stop being so vocal about your de denial to comply just straight up nope we're recommend i mean you know we recorded that part of yeah. them dropping the hammer and saying we now recommend that he be immediately you know, fired or dismissed from the department. I mean, my jaw just dropped because I was like, wait, I thought there was like strikes before this, you know, because yeah. even in the military, you know, like non-judicial punishment, stuff like that, when you go up before UCMJ and all that stuff, you, you get like 30 days in the brig or you get, you know, whatever it might be, but you some, you get warnings a lot, depending on the gravity of it. You know, if, if you post positive for, for drugs, it's like immediate expulsion, obviously. Mm -hmm. But for something like that, where you're, you know, if they want to see you as an activist of, of freedom or a Second Amendment or the First Amendment or whatever, you know, constitutional right you feel that was being trampled on, it's just insane that they, they went into that. And so I think that that day you were already running for office, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So what can you kind of just kind of tell me exactly when you decided I, I need to run? Well, um, you know, when I was when I was giving, you know, I've had the incredible honor of speaking all over like Southern California, and speaking to these large groups of people. And every time I spoke, I was trying to encourage um, men to stand up and take control of our country. You know, not 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 take control like taking up arms, but I mean, we needed the dads to speak up this past year. And the moms were doing a majority of the heavy lifting in, at all of the events that I was speaking at. And the moms really kept the, these issues really in the forefront. And so I was calling on the dads to, to take a stand and stand with the moms. And when not enough of them were, I kind of, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Because I had already thought I was going to be fired. You know, going into that last day of, our, of my trial that you were at, I really had a great feeling about it. I really had a great feeling like, you know what, I've got two of these three judges and I think they're on my side. And when they dropped the hammer, I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, and it, just to backtrack on that, I really, it really hurt because I've been, I think I've been mislabeled, right? Or, or the organization has been mislabeled because I am not, you know, anti-vaccine. I'm anti-mandate. I'm anti-being, you know, I, I'm against being forced to do anything. Right. And that's, that's what they couldn't understand, you know. 
to wear the badge is a privilege and it's a privilege that you don't understand that you don't deserve it's like oh, wow that hurts you yeah. know that hurts a lot um but i decided to run because i thought i was going to be fired after like february 28th i was supposed to have a, a hearing day and um i thought for sure it was going to be over and i was thinking to myself like what am i going to do next i mean how am i going to continue this fight um if i can't be a police officer any longer you know, in my nature, I've spent uh, I've spent a majority of my adult life in the service of others, and I, I said, well, how can I how can I change things? You know, just a just a small amount. How can I try to change things? And I was like, well, what if I ran for office? And I kept and I was thinking about it. And I kept thinking, and then finally, with like four days left to register, I I pulled papers and I was like, I'm gonna I'm, that's it. I'm gonna run. I'm going to run for state assembly. That was what was available in my area at the time. Um, I pulled the papers. I got the signatures that I needed to try to get on the on the ballot. And then all of a sudden, it's like they 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 knocked two dozen signatures off right away because mm, they got scorned you. Well, it's like the re, the redistricting <laughs> of of the of the area. Okay. I lost like half of my city that I got all those signatures in. So I was like, oh man. So I didn't make it onto the ballot, and I was like, well if it's important enough for me to run in the first place, running as a writing candidate is just as good. Right. And so I waited a month and I pulled papers again, I got the proper signatures and I ran as a writing candidate for the June 7th primary. And um, incredible honor, um, I ended up getting the most write-in votes for any assembly candidate wow. um, in the state. I got 2,580 write-in votes. Wow. And it was like, powerful you know because yeah. it was in terms of writing candidates only one other person got more than me and, and she's running for uh, i think she's running for the state senator um christina Irwin, and she got more than i did but you know it's like that's pretty awesome yeah you know it's incredibly humbling and i i use that word a lot uh while campaigning because every day i wake up and i get to meet new people and 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 uh interact and and, and find my voice it's everything so incredibly humbling yeah. What are some of the policies that you're going to be running and like what, what, what kind of like inspires you or what, what, I guess if you were, if you are going to win, like, what are you working to do? Like, well, initially I ran on essentially three, three really important topics to me. It's, it's family, right? Um, freedom and accountability. Now I am not beholden to anyone. The only people that I am beholden to are my two children, my sons. I answer to them, right? Of course, I answer to the constituents of Assembly District 41, but you know, I want to see a world. I, I want to see a state where my boys can grow up in freedom, and we are in. I don't co-parent with the government. My children are mine to raise, and mine alone, right? Um, and we're seeing this, 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 this just this wave coming through Sacramento where you know men who don't have children are trying to tell us parents how to raise our children right right they're stripping parental rights from away from us with every single stroke of their pen and i can't stand for that i can't stand by it you know i don't know what's happened while we've been recording this but it's 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 at the end of the of the uh legislative session, session yeah. for this year and we're waiting to see what scott weiner is going to do with sb 866 a bill that initially was to allow 12-year-olds to medically emancipate from their parents and, and, and get any kind of shot that they want without the parents even knowing, mm -hmm. you know? Who is that good for? You yeah. know, if you know anything about these, about these Vs, you know, a, a child who gets injured can't file a claim until they're 18 years old, mm -hmm. right? So he, he amends it to 15 under pressure from the groups that, that I work with but it's still not good enough. There should be no amendments to this. No child should be able to really medically emancipate themselves in, in, in these kind of situations, right? Right. Because God forbid something happens to that child, they've got to live with that debilitating ailment for at least now three years. Um, so, you know, it's been a real uphill battle. Um, and then again, you know, freedom was the other thing, you know, a return to freedom. 
you know, I'm looking for a smaller government role. We should mm -hmm. not be so invasive into people's personal lives. People need to take responsibility for their own lives. It's not the government's role to, to rule over us, right? right? I mean, yes, to participate in, in society, you have to give up a little bit, right? But the power that the government has, the power that the police has, comes from the consent of the governed. And if we only knew that because they're just trying to rule over us, right? And now we have a monarchy or a dictatorship or, a, you know, whatever you want to call it. And people are just, they're, they're slowly acting like frogs in a boiling pot. Right. You know, how much more can they take from us before we start to notice? Um, you know, and, and that goes to, like, things like privacy. Yeah. You know, I'm old enough to remember when, when I had a lot of privacy, but now I've got a... I've got to show my ID or I've got to scan my face and all this other stuff. And it's, it's incredibly unsettling to me. But the kids that are growing up today in the Facebook age, they've never, they've never known anything but the um, submission to meta, you know? Yeah. Um, Question I have for you is, is there hope? There's always hope. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm super hopeful about it. If there's ever been a year to do what we're doing to take back Sacramento, it's 2022 or even 2024, right? We've got an incredible gr uh, group of candidates that are running. I mean, true patriotic American men and women that are stepping into the fray, right? Stepping into the gap and abiding by the, the, con the, the oath to the constitution that they made. We've got so many police officers now. We've got former Green Berets. You know, I started a, another coalition with uh, Burton Brink, who's running for the Assembly District 49. Right, yeah. And then my good friend Vincent Tsai, who's running for Senate 22. And we're calling ourselves the Heroes Coalition. Nice. And we're all, for, we're all, you know, current to former law enforcement officers. But it's, it's the ideals and the principles that we stand by and that we stand for that we want to bring to Sacramento. You know, I seem to be able to connect with people. I seem to be able to, you know, to start up these coalitions. And that's what I want to do getting up there. We have to, we have to find the like-minded, freedom-loving individuals in both the Senate and the Assembly who want to see a success for our state. You know, I mean, we can't be ruled by a despot behind, mm -hmm. a, behind a desk. And we're in real danger of losing our liberties. You know, I mean, yeah. these are, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's stuff that's enshrined in our Constitution that, you know, that Thomas Jefferson referred back to, you know, John Locke, Who's actually whose birthday was yesterday, uh, but John Locke. I mean, the, the most famous sort of political theologian of the 17th century, and you know his ideals of just like, hey, you know what? Each person is imbued with these God-given rights. Right. They are not government-given rights, and people have to realize the fact that we are free people, yeah. right? Choosing to operate in this society, and we've got to take back the rights that we're losing. I think that one of the things that I greatly respect about you and why I wanted to have you uh, not just as my first guest but also like as a guest in general is that I see a lot of people say give up you know I see a lot of people say there's just no hope anymore and I think that it's sad to hear that especially from people that you know are Christian mm -hmm. you know or, or they believe in God and they believe in hope and they have to have this faith and with you I've seen a lot of people like the minute they get fired, like, okay, this is it. Like, this is my one way ticket out of California. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot to complain about California, right. but you chose to stay. You chose to run. You won your primary and you got the most write-ins than except one other candidate. And now you're going to fight and you're going to bring that fight to Sacramento. And I know you will when elected come November. And so with that, just kind of give us a closing remark. How can people help you? What what do you need? What what do you tell people? If there is hope, what can I do? How can I get right. involved? So. You know, I always love this quote by uh, Edmund Burke that says, "The greatest sin of a man in the times of moral crisis is to do nothing, fearing that you could only do a little." Mm. Right. The men and women of California, uh, just doing a little is enough. If enough of us get together and just do that. All right, we can be this overwhelming wave of red or conservatism, however you want to categorize it. But we need a return to the family values that, that made this nation great. We need to see Christians and Catholics and Jews. We need to see people of all faiths. Remember that God isn't 
working for you. He's working through you. And if mm. you believe that it's in God's hands, well, in turn, it's in your hands. I need people to come out and vote, right? I need volunteers. I need, you know, people walking precincts. Unfortunately, I need donations. You know, as, as a man who's never had to ask for anything in his life, right. asking people for donations seems to be the hardest thing that, that I Oof, have. Preaching to the choir. Exactly, right? <laughs> you know, I don't have yeah. a Patreon or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, my opponent has got like $3 million in the bank, mm. you know? I don't even have like, <laughs> I won't yeah. tell you how much I have, but it's not a lot, right? But I, but I need people to get out there and get activated because here's what it is. And, and I'm not saying with this any kind of ego, I'm a strong candidate. Mm -hmm. I'm a man of conviction. I just sacrificed 14 years of police work to stand up for my morals and my principles. You know, sometimes it's harder to, to fight for your principles than it is to stand up for them. But I've done both, Anthony. Yeah. And, and I am the man that will take this, this sort of fire and fervor up to Sacramento, and I'm going to kick some ass up there. Nice. I'm going to hold the fire to the feet of these people who are making laws that, def that directly go against you know, the family values that I stand for, yeah. right? I mean, where, where can people find you? Where can people sign up? Where can people donate? Uh, it's uh, McMahon, the number four, assembly.com. That's M-C-M-A-H-O-N, the number four, assembly.com. Um, on there, I've got, um, you know, I've got a link to my donations page. Uh, you can sign up and be a volunteer, walk a precinct for me. Um, and then if I could just plug this, I've got a, an incredible fundraiser in Pasadena on September 23rd uh, featuring Katie Hopkins. I don't know if anybody knows who she is, but she's a very outspoken um, Blexit leader and she's uh she actually got kicked out of her own country she can't yeah. own she can't own property over there any longer but she's gonna she's hosting a fundraiser for me at pinocchio's in um in pasadena on september 23rd tickets are still available um and i would just encourage everybody to please come out and support me all right well michael mcmahon thank you so much for being here brother and uh definitely gonna be supporting and uh anything we can do man you know i appreciate it man your friendship is it, it's meant a lot to me and it's it's amazing to be the first guest, so thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, to you and uh, for being here today, and thanks for everyone that tuned in. Thank you.